Uh, Father, we ask for your blessing upon your word. As we get into it, we pray that you'd make it clear to us. You would help us to understand what Moses and Aaron and the people of Israel were going through and how Pharaoh was hardening his heart and all of these things were coming together to bring about your plan. But Father, like the Jews and like Moses and Aaron, we'd pray that you would help us not to be discouraged, that we'd recognize you as the one who follows through with what you promise. And we know in this day and age there are so many promises that are broken, so many lies that are told. Help us to be people of your church that tell the truth, that walk in the truth. For the benefit of everyone around us, not only ourselves. We thank you, Lord, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. So this idea of a promise, what is a promise if... You go to the altar, you promise to have and to hold for richer or poorer in sickness and in health till death do you part. You will promise to be that provider. You will promise to be that companion. And so often when we make a promise, you know, some people will swear by heaven or they swear to God is what they say. And in order to give prominence or give some bulk or some weight to what they are saying and jesus says let your yes be yes and your no be no you don't have to swear by anything at all but this idea of making a pact making a promise making a commitment a promise made is a debt unpaid this was quoted by someone and so if you make a promise you need to follow through on it and If you're married, your promise isn't done being fulfilled. Also, a promise must never be broken, according to Alexander Hamilton and several others that I looked up. They all said the same thing. If you make a promise, you better be sure to keep it. And when Jesus, excuse me, when God in the Old Testament, as he was revealed as the I am or the Lord or El Shaddai, when he made a promise, it's incumbent upon him to follow through with it. Otherwise, he will be called a liar at the very greatest or he will be called irresponsible at the very least so when we make these promises we have to follow through a promise is a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen that's what you do when you give a promise and that's used as a noun but as a verb you assure someone that one will definitely do give or arrange something undertake or declare that something will happen I promise to do this. You're making a declarative statement. And God did this when he said to Abraham, his uh, progeny, his children will be as the stars of the, the sky or the sand and the sea. That's how many people will come from his loins. And he has certainly fulfilled that. There have been millions and millions of Jews over the face of the earth, and there will still be millions more to come, I'm quite sure, once we get into the millennium. And so God made a promise not only to him and the children that he will have, but he also gave a promise that they will enter this promised land. Now, if you remember, once they had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and they all went down to Egypt and settled in the land of Goshen down there, there was over 430 years or 430 years that they stayed in the land. And so there was no fulfillment of promise that they could actually see taking place but when they cried out to god because of the evil taskmasters and pharaoh himself and they said you know god this is getting really tough he remembered what he had said to them and it was time to him for him to show himself as not only the promise maker but the promise keeper now in exodus chapter 6 
We'll pick it up there in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of my mighty hand. He will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. So God is reminding Moses of his promise to him, and he's reminding us of his promises to us through his word. Remember, they had a physical promise that was there. We have a spiritual promise. We have a promise that God will carry us through to the very end. And once we die or once we are translated, we are going to go to heaven. That's his promise to us. That all the pain, sorrow, suffering, the tears, the discord, the hatred, the jealousy, the fits of rage, the all of those things that are of the flesh are going to go away. We're not going to have to deal with those things anymore. And sometimes we are not so drawn to our fellow human beings. Sometimes we actually want to hate them sometimes we get angry at them sometimes we are not drawn to them and of course sometimes we are we are favorably favorably disposed to those who are around us for instance there's this one story this guy i know he went to uh dinner and he was sitting at the table at dinner and it was a a small restaurant and there were these tables that were really close to each other and he was sitting on a two-top and there was another two-top right next to him in the middle of the floor and on the sides there were these these booths that were there and so he was sitting in the middle of the floor he was just enjoying a meal by himself he was a young guy and in walks this beautiful woman she sits down right across from him in this other small table And of course, he notices her, but he just keeps going about his business. He was looking at his phone and stuff. And the woman, you could tell she was getting ready to sneeze. And she sneezed so hard, she happened to have a glass eye. And the glass eye came right out. And the guy was young, and he was quick on his feet. And he grabbed it. He just, you know, like that. You know, throw your head forward when you're sneezing. He grabbed it. And of course, she was terribly embarrassed by it. And he gave the glass eye back to her and, you know, she put it in and she just apologized. She said, I'm so embarrassed that this has taken place. And she goes, you know, you're sitting here all alone. Can I sit with you? And the the guy, my friend, he said, yeah, go ahead, sit down. And so they spent the next, I think he said it was an hour and a half to two hours just talking. And they just hit it off like no other. And, you know, it, it... the end of the conversation the woman said you know i'd really like to do this again and he was agreeable and so he did have this final question he said what is it that you would just a total stranger say you would want to you know pick it up again go out on another date and she said well you caught my eye real right in the point is the point is we are agreeable to some right and some we wouldn't give a second look at and god is agreeable with all of us god wants all of us to be a part of him and who he is he wants only good things for us and so that's what he's setting up here but it is in the midst of despair and uncertainty that this is taking place now When God mentions his name here in Exodus chapter 6, I'm going to actually go forward a little bit. In verse 2, God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. 
Okay, this is an important statement here. As we're going through uh, the first couple of books of the Bible, the Jews knew who God was. And the word that is used here, I am the Lord, it's known as the Tetragrammaton. It is four consonants. It is YH, WH, and some Jewish scholars say it's YH, VH. And it does not have any vowel points. It's all consonants. And the Jews thought that the name of God was too holy to even say. And so what they would do is they, they knew God as El Shaddai, God Almighty, and over, I believe it's 160 times in the book of Genesis, Yahweh is used. Now, the way you recognize Yahweh in the Old Testament is all four letters of the word Lord are capitalized. Now, so this is, this is a little inside Bible right here. You wouldn't know that just reading through it, but that's what they do to indicate that this is the Lord. This is Yahweh. And as he's going through chapter six here, he is letting the people know that he has made this promise. God has remembered this promise and God will fulfill his promise. And he makes seven I will statements to establish this with the people. So God appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai. He's the one who provides or the one who sustains. But they did not have the understanding. God did not reveal himself as one who makes the promise and is the promise keeper. That is for this generation. So they knew him a little bit, but they didn't have the full understanding of who he was. And again, I said that they would, the Jews, when they would come across this name, Lord, the Tetragrammaton, in Scripture, they would use Hakadosh Baruch Hu. And what that means is the Holy One, blessed is He. They would say that instead of saying the Yahweh. And it was not pronounceable. They would stick the vowels in there to do that. Or they would say Adonai, which is Lord. Now we sing some songs that is Adonai, the Lord. And that is out of the Old Testament. Or Hashem. Hashem is the name. So they thought it's so holy, they would not even say it. Hence, we have the Ten Commandments. The third commandment is, thou shalt not take the Lord your God's name in vain. King James, right? We're not supposed to speak God's name unless it's in a way of adoration and worship or instruction. That is when we say God. That is when we say Jesus. We don't use their names as an expletive. If we do that, we are breaking one of the Ten Commandments. It's supposed to be considered as holy to us as well. How many people do you see saying that all the time? They name the name of God or Jesus Christ and not in a way that is instructive or not in a way that lends itself to worship or speaking about some of the things that he has done. And so we have to be careful about that ourselves. So the patriarchs knew Yahweh, but they didn't have the full understanding. In verse 4, he says, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they lived as aliens. So here he's recounting how he made this promise for the Israelites. And secondly, God remembered his promise in verse 5. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. And so he recalls the covenant, he says he remembers it, and he goes, now I'm going to fulfill it. Because of all these things you have in the text, therefore, since I made a covenant, since I've remembered this covenant, therefore, say to the Israelites, 
I am the Lord, El Shaddai, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with the outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hands to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So three times he says, I am the Lord. El Shaddai, the one who provides. I am going to do this. But now he's going to be known as the promise maker and the promise keeper. Yahweh, as we go on. So he makes these seven declarative statements, these I wills. Now there's only one time where you see you will. Now that's important to make that distinction there. It's in verse seven in the second half. Then you will what? Know or you will do. You see, it's you will know. You will come to an understanding. There is nothing in these declarative statements, these I will statements that puts the onus on you. You have to do nothing. They had to do nothing except no. That was it. That's all God required for them to be part of this promise. If you are saved, it's because you know God is able to save you, not because you do. And often we get that mixed up. Oh, we have to do, we have to do. No, do is a result of knowing. It comes after knowing. It doesn't lead you to knowing. It comes afterwards. So once you know God and who he is, you go, wow, God, you've done so much for me. I want to reciprocate because you see the depth of love that he has had for all of us. But we become complacent, especially, you know, there's so many things that distract us. I notice that I love to search the news and I'm just a fanatic. I start looking through all these different news sites and I have these blocks on my browser and I go right there and I read what's there and I go, whoa, that's, wow, I'm going to have to put that one in my little file over here. And, and I'd love to get this information. I love to see what's going on in the world, especially how it relates to the Bible and who's standing for righteousness and who is not. I love reading about that stuff. And we live in such age. Remember way back, I, I told you this before, we had these things called newspapers and magazines. They were sent to the house. I used to get Time Magazine before I knew I shouldn't get Time Magazine. I used to get, my dad was a newspaper man. So what would we do? You get up in the morning, you have a bowl of cereal. What's the front page? And the comics. Then you go to the second page. And then you just start reading through everything that's there and you devour as much as you can. And that's what we used to do. Now you don't even have to do that. The news comes to you and your phone can buzz and it tells you when you're getting an alert. And you can say, wow, what's going on? And this knowing is good. But if the knowing is all earthly, it profits us nothing. If the knowing is based in God and who God is and what he has done for us, everything that we pick up in this life can be used for that end. You follow where I'm going with this? God requires nothing of us to do. He only requires us to know, to not only comprehend, but to apprehend. How does God reach out to us? Does he go like this? Or does he go like this? He reaches out to us. He says, here, take this salvation. I will 
reach out to you with an outstretched arm. We are supposed to apprehend. Apprehend means we go to the salvation that's there and we reach out for it and grab it. See, that's how we're saved. Salvation doesn't come just because you are. It doesn't come that way. You have to reach out for the salvation that God has. These people had to trust God. They had to know that he was going to do what he said he was going to do. And so they reached out with the knowledge that they had and apprehended his promises. Now, not everyone did. We know that as we get through the scripture here, not everyone went into the promised land. And so there was encouragement delivered to the people in the midst of this discouragement. In verse 9, Moses reported this to the Israelites, the declarative I will statements. But they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and their cruel bondage. When you give the gospel, sometimes you explain it to people, but their life circumstances seem to be so dire that they cannot apprehend what you are saying. Circumstances can prevent contrition. Those circumstances in your life can prevent you from coming to God. A situation may forfeit salvation or your position may prevent apprehension of God's promises to you. Also, an outward condition or outward conditions can crush inward expectation. And so somebody who's going through the worst possible circumstances in their life, they are so low, it's difficult for them to look up and go, look what God has for me. They can't have this joy. You may be going through some difficult times. You may be facing some trials. You may be facing somebody dying in your family. You may have a child that is ill or a grandchild that is ill. And how do you deal with that? And you often wonder, where is God in the midst of this? How come he doesn't answer me? And of course, the theological answer is, we're to blame for this. It's a world that has fallen. He told us not to eat of the fruit. We ate of the fruit. And not only is Adam and Eve to blame, but we would do the same thing. We're imperfect. So we can go down that theological issue. But the idea is, it's so difficult to reach out for God. And that's where these people were. They couldn't. They were so discouraged and the cruel bondage was so heavy. You know, when the taskmasters came in there and they started beating the people who were the foremen, I'm sure some of those guys died. That's how cruel they were. And so they were probably getting tremendously discouraged. And here's Moses saying, the Lord says he will seven times. And they go, "Eh, this is hard. And they would turn away. They wouldn't listen to what's going on. And so it continues here in verse 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? In other words, I, I'm, I can't get this right. The Israelites are not listening to me. There's no way Pharaoh's going to listen to me. Pharaoh is turning these people around. Now put yourself in the situation. You're Moses, so you're the people. Pharaoh is making your life worse, right? If you're the leader, Pharaoh is turning against you. The world, Satan, is turning against you. And it seems like, how am I going to get out of this? Now, place yourself in a situation that just is untenable. For instance, you're working. It's right before Christmas. You get fired. You only have a couple of weeks of severance pay, even if you have that. You only have a little bit of savings. You're living from paycheck to paycheck. Then your spouse gets sick, or one of your kids gets sick, or one of your grandkids gets sick. Then you have an automobile accident. 
all of a sudden, and then you get a letter from the IRS. You just start piling on, and then you wonder what you're going to do for Christmas because there's nothing there for Christmas. Then your own health starts to fail. And you're going, where? Wait a second. You're you're talking about my life here. What's going on? And it gets hard. It gets burdensome. And then you see yourself getting older, and you're going, it's not going to get any better. I'm wearing out. What am I supposed to do? God, what am I supposed to do? And you don't think you can really turn to God because he's not changing your circumstances. I could see that depression easily setting in. And then you go to the doctor and you medicate a little bit and hopefully it'll make it better, but it really doesn't make it any better. It doesn't make you feel happy, after all. They don't give you happy pills. They can give you pills to kind of stabilize you, but you have to be the one that is happy. So these guys are just in despair. Not only Moses and Aaron, but I'm sure the rest of the people. Has there ever been a case where somebody else in Scripture has been in total despair? You know, like Elijah. Elijah was at his wit's end. He ran away. He was starving. He ended up in a cave and a bird ends up feeding him. God provides some meat for him and he's just resting there for days and he's thinking, I am the only one left. In 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 9, it says, And the word of the Lord came to him, that is Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put all your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. It's like he's this lone soldier out there. And then the Lord reminded him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice of the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, Again, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. So he has all these disasters in front of him. How hard does the wind have to blow for rocks to break apart? This is worse than a hurricane, right? It has to take rocks and blow them off of the mountain. They have to fall down and they have to break. He's inside the cave looking out and he can see this, right? Then there's an earthquake and that place is all shaken. You have earthquakes in your life and everything starts shaking. You're going, what am I supposed to do? Then fire comes and torches everything. There's someone else like that. Remember Job? Had everything taken from him. And here's Elijah. I'm the only one left, Lord. Help me. What am I supposed to do here? And he encourages him a little more. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of over Aram. Also anoint Jehud, son of Nimshi, king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah to succeed him as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So he encourages him there. He says, now 
get back out there and go do what you need to do. But he was in such despair. He was in this cave. He was starving to death. The Lord brought him food, sustained him, put him back up and said, now go. That's what he tells us to do. You have those financial problems. Your life is falling apart. Maybe your relationships are not doing so well and your kids are sick, your grandkids are sick, or somebody's sick around you. The automobile takes a dive. The water heater goes out. The washing machine goes out. The refrigerator goes out. We had that happen once in our house. Refrigerator, dishwasher, and hot water heater, all at the same month, just all went out completely. And then if the TV goes, then what are you going to do, right? And and so it, it, it was just all gone, just taken out of these people's lives and i think god does that for a reason where else are you going to turn what if your friends abandon you too where are you going to turn i have no friends you know as i um, go to these different websites and i look for news and i i look for people's personal postings to what they have to say and you can't believe how many people are out there saying statements like I don't go to social events because I have no friends. I have no friends because I don't go to social events. Period. And that's the end. And then people comment on that and just try to say, you know, I want to encourage you. And they give them some advice what to do. The internet is filled with people like that. Just looking for relationship. They're having a hard go of life. Some say, you know, I'm not very handsome, I'm not very attractive, I'm an average sort of person, I have a job that's sedentary, we're all engineers and there's no females in here, you know, there's just a bunch of men, what am I supposed to do, I can't meet anybody, and they lament their conditions and it's tough, and yet those people should know too that the Lord has made promises to them, and so we need to understand the Lord has made promises to us, what about somebody in the New Testament? where they were at their wits' end. You remember Mary and Martha? What was his, their brother's name? Lazarus. Lazarus died. The first words when Martha saw Jesus, they were, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. These are two women that were relying on on the safety and comfort and provision of their brother. And he died. And Jesus waited before he showed up. And he did so for a reason. He lied, uh, laid in there for three days. And when Jesus got there, he said, open up the tomb. And they turned to him and they said, Lord, he stinketh by now. He has an odor. You know, this is not going to be pleasant to open this thing up. And yet he said, do it. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth, and the people were restored. Mary and Martha were restored. Now, not always do we have a happy ending like that. The endings can be sad. They can be trying. But there are other people who have gone through these things, whether it's Job, whether it's Mary and Martha, whether it's Elijah, no matter who it was, whether the apostle Paul, shipwrecked twice, left for dead, stoned, all of those things that happened to him. And we look at our life circumstances and actually we, we may have some problems, but we still have it pretty good. It's not like it was back then. 
And God wants these Israelites to know, in verse 13, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. So in other words, Moses met God face to face, and he sat him down. He goes, I want to tell you something about Pharaoh. This is what you need to know about Pharaoh. This is what you need to know about the people. And he tried to encourage him there. He spoke to them about these people, these individuals. And so they should have gotten some type of encouragement from that. But did they? Well, you know, when the Lord speaks to us, and how does he speak to us today? It's through his word. Now, Jesus is the living word, but the living word was put down in the Bible for us to read. If we're not reading it, we can't get encouraged. If you were discouraged... The prescription is, go read the scripture. And you don't want to turn to the part where it says, and Judas went out and hung himself. You want, you want to stay away from that, but you want to get to some of the Psalms, the encouragement that comes through some of the Psalms that are in there, or the Proverbs of what to do, and how to respond, and how to conduct yourself. In the book of James, if you lack wisdom, God will give you the wisdom. He can provide it for all of us abundantly. And he says, go to the word. And so if we're in the word, our faith is built. We see other people that have gone through these difficulties. And as a result, we can trust that God will bring us through these difficulties. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it talks about the comfort that we receive when we go through these trials so that we might bring that same comfort to others when they're going through similar trials. That's what we're supposed to do. If you're not in the word, you can just get down in the doldrums. You can just be completely discouraged about what's going on. If your health starts to fail, you know that you have a promise. You're going to get a new body. Yeah, the body's just breaking down. That's what it is. You know, I, I have done so many different jobs in my life. And there's one guy, he would start fixing something and it wouldn't get fixed right. And he'd throw something across the room. There'd be a wrench flying here. And I'd be standing behind him and he'd be cussing at the thing. And I'd just go... Okay, I'm just going to back away a little bit here. But that's how he would handle things. And then I'd work for another guy. I work for this one guy, and he he has this trucking company, and there's disasters that happen. Think big things fall off of big trucks and just go slam. And he comes out and goes, well, I guess we got to fix it. And he just kind of walks away. And I go, wow, what is broken concrete and everything they were just moving these huge massive uh beer uh fermenting tanks that came off a ship and you know he's out there and these things are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars and it requires a stack of permits he told me this thick and there's five highway patrol and you're moving in the middle of the night and a new guy who was a pilot truck driver He got out there and they're going under a bridge and they let down all 65 tires or how many it is and they can get under the bridge. Well, this one pilot truck driver just goes, come on, let's go. And he ended up getting a gash in this big tank that came from overseas about 18 inches to two feet long. And so this guy, this trucking guy is telling me this story and he goes, well, you know, now I got to go fix that. What? It's going to cost you bling you know to fix something like that but he was not disturbed by it at all it's just well you know it's one of those things that happen you just have those kind of problems and this guy's not even a believer and i'm going 
wow, you're an example to me about how to respond when things get really tough. And so he sits down with them, he talks to them, and they're lacking faith, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And I'm going to skip over verse 14. I'll probably go back to it next week, 14 through uh, 25. And this deals with the heads of the Levite families. And this was important because they needed to know who were going to be the priests in the future. And then verse 26 says, And it was the same Aaron and Moses who the Lord said, Bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. They were the ones who spoke to king, or the Pharaoh king of Egypt and bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. It was the same Moses and Aaron. This was written about long after the Exodus. And so this was intended to the reader in the future and also to us that we would know who it was that was experiencing these things. And verse 28 says, Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord, El Shaddai. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, Since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? God just spent all this time. Look, I want to encourage you. This is what's going to happen. This is what has happened in the past. I'm probably sure he gave him lots of stories. Elijah wasn't around yet. And all these problems that I just told you about, they probably weren't around yet. Maybe Job was. We don't know. But God was there himself encouraging Moses face to face. And he still walked away completely discouraged now it is revealing that he says it is the same Moses and Aaron because after this was written nobody in that camp would have thought Moses and Aaron and the people were faltering because they would have seen the Shekinah glory of God, the, the pillar of fire. They would have seen that. They would have seen how God supplied for them manna in the wilderness. They would have seen how God brought water out of the rock. They would have heard about it. They would have looked at Moses and they would have said, that was you? That was the guy who was stuttering back then? No, you're kidding me, right? And he goes, no, it was true. It happened to me. You know, it's Aaron, my brother. We were, yeah, it was all like that. But you're Moses. He goes, I know. This is hard. This is hard to comprehend. But he, being used so much by God, at the end of it, it was a great thing. I'm sure he lamented not being able to go into the promised land. But back at this point, early in their history, he was a faltering, stuttering doubter. If you're doubting what God wants to do, just look to the scripture. Just go, How did God deliver these people before? He can deliver you. And you might say, well, what if I lose my life? Praise God. You get all the glory, right? You get a new body. You get to go to heaven. You leave us here. Thanks a lot. But you get to go, you get to go up there and experience everything. That's why when things start getting bad, and I think they're going to get worse. I'm not a prophet. I just read the news a lot. Things that are out there. There are forces at work that are evil. You can see it as an underlying current. And when they get rough, just go, well, you know, we'll just do what we can. We got that 18-inch gas in that big tank. It's, hey, you know, it happens. That's what you can do. The Lord can provide you strength for this. If you remember the scriptures and the stories that are in there, especially if you go to the Old Testament, the Lord will instruct you and say, do not worry, do not fret, do not be anxious about anything. The Lord is the one who provides. He is the promise maker. He is the promise keeper. All of those things have been explained to us through scripture. So we don't have to doubt. 
We don't have to fear. This is the spiritual application that we're supposed to have. Now, I will digress and go back a little bit into this next week, but I just wanted to make sure you understood that no matter how bad things get for you, and eventually they get so bad for all of us, if the Lord tarries, we're all going to die. We're all going to get sick. We're all going to have our money dispersed, any money that we may have. You may not have money. Don't worry about it. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He will provide for you. He will give you one cow as much as is necessary to provide for you. You just ask him. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. So take encouragement. One final thing. These people didn't believe. They didn't apprehend. You need to apprehend the promises of God as far as salvation is concerned. If you're not saved, you simply say, God, I want to be saved. You are the promise maker. You are the promise keeper. I want you to bring me into your kingdom. And of course, to do that, you just simply say, Jesus, save me from my sins. Or you say, Jesus, I acknowledge that you are the Messiah. You are the one who can forgive me. Please save me. That's all you have to say. And make sure, if you're in doubt, that you say that prayer as often as is necessary. And God promises by his word to bring it to fruition. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how you have guided and instructed those who have gone before, how you have lifted up the brokenhearted, those who were doubting, those who were faltering in their lips, those who were lacking strength like Elijah who thought he was dying in a cave. You provided for him sustenance even through a bird bringing him some food. We ask, Lord, that in the midst of our suffering, when we experience it, if we experience it, you would provide relief. You would make yourself known. You would reveal yourself through your word and bring that encouragement where we don't have to fret, be anxious, or worry. We thank you for your provision, your providence, your care for us. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen.